Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And we have a guest. We do. And his name is? Martin. Martin. Martin, it's good to have you. It's good to be here. Yeah, so sometimes we do, kind of like the ending of Mark, we do the opening of the podcast with different length <laughs> of things added or taken <laughs> away. Uh, and I, I sometimes, just to throw Marshall off, th- really the reason is to throw Marshall off. Th- I, I shorten it, it down and he's like... I wasn't ready, or I make it long when I feel like he's about ready to jump in. <laughs> um, I'm the senior pastor, Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, and you? I, I guess you'd call me the senior pastor of uh, Stratford Christian Reformed Church. I'm the only pastor, so then senior becomes a bit of a misnomer title. Senior, the lead? But least senior lead the only pastor yeah. at, uh, yeah, Stratford Christian Reformed Church. Um, and, yeah. and, and here's here's a truth about you that you may not know. Okay. Other than my children, and I would say even including them over the last two to three years, you have appeared in more of my sermons than any single individual. <laughs> would, you, would you agree? Yeah, in, a, in positive ways. Though. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay with either one. That could be a negative yeah. example too. <laughs> <laughs> so, here, so here's the reason for it. Okay. The reason for it is I'm, I'm really working to help us understand the difference between primary, secondary, and tertiary, tertiary issues and where there is fellowship at a primary level, why a secondary level is worthy of dividing into separate churches, yet not worthy of claiming heresy, yep. as you would in a primary level, and whereas a tertiary level allows you to disagree even within the same body of local church. Yep. And so... I, I oftentimes would just say, for example, friend with whom I have tons of agreement, yet it would not be beneficial for us to co-pastor a church. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. And so, and so the, Martin is here today because we are talking about a secondary issue. And that is the question, what is baptism? Mm-hmm. Question number 44 in the New City Catechism. As we do, we start with what, where it goes wrong, mm-hmm. Marshall. We actually start with why it matters, Tim. Oh, why it matters. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Gotcha. Nice. Mm. I love it. I don't get many of those opportunities, so I take <laughs> them when I get them. Why does it matter? <laughs> there is an inherent command from Christ in the Great Commission to baptize. And we see repeated examples in Scripture of baptism being a thing that happens under um, the leadership of the apostles in the time of the early church. And it, I think, is pretty clear that it is something that is to continue and is to hold a place of importance within the church community. So that is why I think wrapping our minds around what baptism is, is important. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I would even go so far as to say John the Baptist makes a statement of, well, it might not matter in this circumstance because after all, you are Jesus. Mm. And Jesus says, no, it still matters. Yeah. So that righteousness can be fulfilled. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Additions or subtractions? No, I mean, I, I agree. I guess I'd also add, like I, I watched last week's, or listened to what last week's podcast, you talked about, you got into the difference between the Catholic understanding of seven sacraments versus the Protestant understanding of, of two sacraments. And this is one of our two. Mm-hmm. Right. Even after all of that debate and all of the work that came out of the Reformation, our, our forefathers recognized um, baptism and communion are things that are means of grace that are available to all that Christ explicitly commanded. And therefore, they're important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's great to take the time. Every catechism I've ever read devotes a couple of Lord's days to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they're important. So we should be doing it, too. Yeah. All right, so what's next? I guess next is actually where people where get does it wrong. go wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of focused in on on two, and uh, and we kind of chatted about this earlier, and we can kind of unpack these. the The first way people can really get it wrong is to say that it's just simply un- unnecessary, just not practicing baptism at all. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I mean, one common example of a of a church that does this is the Salvation Army. Um, essentially their reasoning is that you know they they affirm 
Water baptism isn't essential for salvation, therefore we're not going to do it. Um, it's a bit of a reductionist view, though, I think. It's, it's a bit of a problem because if you're to say, well, anything outside of what is required for salvation is not something that we want to do, there's a lot of things on that list. Right. A lot of things that they wouldn't cut from that list, right? You would lose potlucks. You, <laughs> you would lose musical worship, which and is kind of the foundation of what the Salvation Army tends to be about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would lose community outreach, which is, again, something that is very important. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting take. Um, and I, I think I came across a, um, something from one of their websites uh, regarding the, the uniforms. And it says that soldiers are encouraged to wear the uniform as a sign of covenant community and that the uniform is a visible profession of faith in Jesus Christ and identifies the wearer with the Christian faith. And I thought to myself, that, or just do baptism. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's, it's what we would argue is the same function of baptism. Yes. Yeah, an outward expression of an inward truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that act of initiation into covenant mm-hmm. um and designed spelled out in scripture mm-hmm. uniforms not i'd agree yeah they are nice though <laughs> do you th- martin yep if uniforms were instated in the crc Ooh. how many dutch farmers would you have showing up <laughs> at church or around town in their crc uniforms Depends on what you would mean by uniform, I guess. If, if you need clumping. Was, you I need mean, clumping. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like 30 years ago, if the uniform was a dark suit, well then, a lot of Ooh, ooh nice there play. you go. Right? I mean, now, <laughs> yeah, if true. the uniform was khakis and a golf shirt, probably a lot of them. There you right? go. Like, <laughs> if they get to pick it. That's well great. played. That's well great. Played. That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Other, other ways it goes wrong. I think the other kind of end of the, the spectrum of saying, you know, one end of the spectrum is that baptism is just kind of useless and not necessary and just kind of this thing that we won't do. The other the other end of the spectrum is saying it does things that are more than it does. Mm-hmm. And so baptismal regeneration, I think, is the other end of that extreme. Um, and Define that for, okay. for our listener who doesn't know. Section 1215 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, This sacrament, baptism, is also called the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, for it signifies and actually brings about the birth of water and the Spirit, without which no one can enter the kingdom of God. So there are scriptural references built into that definition, Mm -hmm. but it's that it effectually regenerates the person. As you are baptized, you are born again. Uh, Water and Spirit um, is the reference that they use. Yeah, I listened to a Mennonite Anabaptist pastor this morning speaking on this, and uh, and his point was to say that there are two agents of baptism, or three agents of baptism, the one being baptized, the one doing the baptism, and Christ who imparts you with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And that, Interesting. And that apart from baptism, you don't have that impartation of the Holy Spirit, right. which which I found really fascinating. And it brought me to the question— what then of the thief on the cross, mm-hmm. to whom it was said, today you will be with me in paradise? Mm-hmm. And I, I would also point to that to say, how many people in all of the ministry of Christ did he ever guarantee they were going to be in heaven? I, argument from silence, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the Romans didn't go, oh, now we got to take this guy down, <laughs> baptize him, and put him back up. <laughs> That's good. That's no, good. no one in the crowd with like a pan of water, just, <laughs> just kidding. right. But I don't know. Mm. I wasn't there. <laughs> I'm just taking a shot. Yeah, it's probably safe bet. That's yeah, a safe bet. Yeah, I mean, there are there are issues with this concept of baptismal regeneration that that have larger gospel implications. I yeah, it, well. it, it becomes an act of work salvation. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, no, it, it definitely, though, if you come in that tradition, it becomes a thing without which you can't be saved. Mm-hmm. At least not ordinarily. Right? Mm-hmm. To be fair to that tradition, 
if someone was on a desert island their whole life and never had access to baptism, I think people would recognize, right, something like that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I do think it confuses the celebration with the thing the celebration celebrates. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a good way to, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, And, and I know that there are probably people waiting now for us to talk about other ways people do it wrong and to duke it out. But we're not going to. We're not going like, to do that. I mean, we do have Martin currently in a dark corner under an interrogation <laughs> lamp. <laughs> He's tied to his chair. <laughs> <laughs> we wheeled him in here on a dolly. Yeah. Oh. No, no, we're, we're going to leave it at that and say those, those are mispractices at the primary level. Mm-hmm. Right. That we would say um, these things are anti-biblical, mm-hmm. not just extra-biblical, um, and, and problematic. In a in a very serious way mm-hmm. for yeah. for practice of baptism, and if, if if I could add one more, I think I'm going to call it like nominal superstition. Mm, okay. um, I would say that's a primary yeah. issue too, and mm-hmm. this will happen in in both uh, believers Baptist traditions and infant Baptist tradi- baptism traditions, where people will come and say, "Well, I'm not really an active part of the church. I'm not sure my own faith is, but." I want to be baptized, or but I want my child to be baptized. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be apart from any of the things that should come with it. Mm-hmm. But but I think that's that's the third primary mm-hmm. way people get it wrong is I don't know that I believe this. I don't know that I'm committed to whatever this signifies, but I want it anyway, mm-hmm. whether it's for myself yeah. or for my child. Right. Yeah, I've I have people call me from time to time to say I have a child that's just born. Would you would you baptize my child? Yeah. Um, obviously not a part of our church, or they would know the answer to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I just tell them, call Martin. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And 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 I say no because I don't know you. <laughs> so, right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like not only do you not understand what a, a baptism is, but you don't even understand proper paedo baptism in yeah. its context right. either. <laughs> and, and to be fair, I. <laughs> I do draw out the con the conversation, sure. yeah. just to be like this person needs the gospel shared with them, mm-hmm. right. and they've just asked me to do it. Right. So, the odds of them hanging up on me in the middle of an explanation are pretty low, even if they check out. Um, yeah. So I, I that's what I actually do, um, just in case someone doesn't know that I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. All right. So the ways it goes wrong, the catechism tells us. Go ahead, Marshall. Baptism is the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It signifies and seals our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to belong to the Lord and to his church. So a baptism is a washing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. All three. We we all use all three names, right? Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. I, I actually watched a baptism by the guy who was the the Anabaptist Mennonite, they sp- they were dunking three times. I don't oh. know if it was his local congregation, mm. but in the Father, splash, Son, right, splash, right, right. Holy Spirit, splash. And I thought that might be an interesting Trinitarian statement. So then I had to go down the rabbit trail of like hearing out his Trinitarian statement um, that you couldn't do the three as one. Um, it turns out he's pretty orthodox on the Trinitarian statement. Oh, that's good. But uh, an interesting observation nonetheless. Yeah. So, like, when you do it, is it just one dunk? One dunk. One okay. dunk. Do you do three? I do three sprinkles. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't have a tank. Sure. We're we're sprinkle. Um, but yeah, no, I do one one dip for each each part of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We when I was in university, we were having this end of school celebration thing. All the different student organizations from around campus had different booths set up, and. Uh, there was a, a non-denominational Christian group there that had built this huge slip and slide <laughs> where you could just run across the school grounds and slide forever. And it, it ended in this pool. And I thought, man, that's covering your bases right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinkled and splashed all in one. <laughs> oh, man. Tell no. me that wasn't for baptism. It wasn't a baptism. No, okay, no okay. it was just for college I wouldn't kids. put it past some some groups out there, man. There's some wacky stuff going on in the world these days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. There is. I mean, even during COVID, right? Like, we saw people, like, just the water gun the sk- out the, the window squirt, of the car the squirt squirting. Gun. Come on. 
I hope that was a joke. All he right. was wearing his full vestments, though, so I don't know. <laughs> 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 All right, so here's what we want to do now. <clears throat> Giving some commentary on the statement that's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that we come from two different traditions, want to give each other opportunity to share those traditions and where they come from. Mm-hmm. We've, we've made it pretty explicit that it is the easy way out for one tradition to say, we hold our tradition because we read the Bible. Yep. Right? It doesn't matter what position you look at. You can go and find someone teaching about it online that says, they believe this, they believe that, what we believe is the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that, that kind of statement comes from not taking time to understand what other people actually think. Mm-hmm. And not hearing them out. Agreed. It's lazy. Yeah. And so we're going to not do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Martin, we're going to give you first go. Okay. And uh, we've already learned the three sprinkles thing. Right. What else do we have? What else do we have to learn? Tell us. Tell us about baptism. Okay. In the Reformed tradition. Baptism in the Reformed tradition. All right. I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to go, and if you have a question, by all means, jump in. Sure. Um, I'm going to start, I guess, with two two things that I think adult baptism traditions might misunderstand. One of them is a simple, uh, like maybe it's just just a matter of wording, but we often talk about infant baptism versus adult baptism, which are not the best terms. Mm. Um, And then, of course, in academic circles, we've retraced that with like credo-baptism, and pedo-baptism, which work when the three of us talk, but I can't use those in a sermon because mm-hmm. um, no one knows what they mean. So uh, the thing that's important to remember is in the same way that you commonly refer to it as believer's baptism, we refer to it as the baptism of the children of believers, mm. which, which is different than just we baptize infants because they're infants, mm-hmm. which right. is the inference when you say infant baptism. Mm-hmm. I mean, to play on, you know, the the cold call that Tim talked about earlier, um, I get phone calls from people who aren't a part of my church or I had them come in when they're guests at somebody else's child's baptism and they'll say, hey, can you baptize our child too? And if they're not a part of our congregation, then I say no because it has to do with our understanding of why we baptize infants in the first place, which, mm-hmm. um, which gets into this idea of the covenant, right? So when we talk about scripture, um, to understand the Reformed understanding of baptism, you've got to understand uh, covenantal theology a little bit. And we could spend hours talking about covenantal theology if we wanted to, but on a, on a short level, uh, what it means is in the same way it, that in the Old Testament, God had a covenant relationship with his people. Um, and that covenant was that Israel would be his special people and he would take them and use them to be a blessing to all nations even though parts of that covenant end when Christ comes, there's an extension or maybe even an expanding of that covenant uh, into the New Testament. So, you know, when I explain baptism, one of my texts is the end of Acts 2, right? Peter finishes that, that first sermon at Pentecost. He says, um, this, pr- and they say, what must I do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, this child is for you, and your children, and for all who are far off. So this, this idea that um, the promises of God somehow extend from believers onto their children, right, to the generations of those who love and keep my commandments, to use another one of those mm-hmm. Old Testament covenantal phrases, um, that's, that's a big part of how, how we come to the place that we come to. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing that I guess we often forget when we start talking about like what does the bible say is that um, all orthodox christian traditions baptize believers if they come to know christ and they haven't been baptized yet so every now and again it's it's not that common but every now and again someone comes into my church uh maybe they're dating someone and then through dating they're exposed to the gospel they accept the gospel maybe they came from a totally uh non-believing uh background uh, or from a believer's background, uh, so I baptize them. Um, but then what happens with their children? So when we read the New Testament, there's lots of stories of people being converted and then being baptized. Um, because the Bible was written 
in the first generation of Christianity, the question of when were the children of those believers baptized um, is more of an argument from silence mm. than something the Bible is explicit about, right? We can, in Acts, there's a couple of spots where, you know, the jailer is, the, is one. He was baptized and he and his family, mm-hmm. sorry, he believed and he and his family were baptized. I think Lydia is the other, the other uh, example from Acts. Uh, but those are, in some ways, assumptions. Uh, we're assuming that, that the family was baptized along with that conversion. Uh, and I think that that's at least a defendable way to read Scripture, but I understand that others read the same Scripture and say, no, you know, the family meant the family of believing age or whatever. Mm. Um, but in both cases, I think you're making an argument from silence, not based on a clear teaching, but based on some assumptions. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I would um, agree. So anyway, I, I, I could keep going, but I yeah. think that's... No, I think that's that's good for people to hear and understand, I think, especially if they haven't been exposed to paedo-baptist traditions um, and and have, have it explained to them. And I think talking about the covenant is... Covenant theology is important because really baptism, baptism isn't really, baptism is the result of different view, like the, the different ways of doing baptism is a result of different ways of viewing the covenant and how the relationship between covenant of grace, covenant of works, old covenant, new covenant, that yep. sort of thing. And so going to, you know, um, household baptisms or going to, you know, believed and then baptized and saying, well, based on this or that, that's our view. That's why we understand it. That's a really insufficient way to to defend your position, whatever position that might yep. be. And so going to how we understand the relationship between the covenants is actually going to be a much more well-rounded way for both sides of the, the conversation to really unpack why we do things the way that we do them. Right. This is more than about proof texting. Yeah. Where yeah. We, we find an instance and we say, here's the instance. Uh, but instances are supported by a greater harmonization with the covenants in general. And so I, I think we need to unpack what that is. Um, we would both agree that there are two covenants. Yep. Covenant of works, covenant of grace. Covenant of works established in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? Yep. Do this, don't do that. Mostly don't do that. The one thing... That one thing. You had one job. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, yeah, it looks good. Uh, And then after that, that is where the question between the two of us comes. And what is the second covenant, right? Does it begin with Abraham? Or is that a parenthetical foreshadowing of the covenant of grace that would begin with Christ? Mm-hmm. Right. Not to speak for yeah, you, yeah, yeah. but that's that, that's, no, that's word together. Yep. So you would say with Abraham, that covenant yep. is the one to carry on. And then the new covenant in Christ, you would explain as because I'm not going to put words in your mouth. OK, well, so the, the short answer to how reform people generally answer an is it this or that? We say it's both. Right. So when you go from the Abrahamic covenant uh, to kind of the new covenant, there are aspects of it that, uh, that carry on, and then there are aspects of it that, that don't. So, I mean, the Abrahamic covenant was based at least in part on, on race, right? It was, it was a covenant with the Jewish people and their descendants. And um, in, the, in the new covenant, there is both um, Jew and Gentile, right? It's, it's slave and free, male and female. It's, it's, it's everyone in mm-hmm. that sense. So there's, there's discontinuity there. Um, but, there, but that sense that God makes a promise uh, not only to people, but to people and their descendants, um, that that's, I think, part of the continuity of mm. my understanding, and I think the Reformed understanding of the New Covenant, and that um, in the same way that circumcision was a symbol of the Old Covenant, um, baptism is a symbol of the New Covenant. Mm. And then if someone converted to Judaism, the stories that in the Old Testament, they're adults, they convert, they're circumcised, um, but their children were circumcised as, as, as infants. And um, in the same way, I think we understand baptism as the sign of that new covenant. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and historically, 
um, historically, sometimes what people want to do is they say, well, it's just it's just basically Catholicism, right? Which is which is silly because there's so much in the Reformation that was about breaking from Catholic tradition that wasn't about outward signs, right? Right. It was about deep theol- theological yeah. mm-hmm. discontinuity, um, and and historically, all of the reformers until the late portions of the Reformation would agree with you. Yep. So you have on your side Luther, Zwingli, Calvin. Yep, that's the big three right there. If, in fact, in in Zurich, <laughs> we would have been put to death. Yeah. <laughs> Simpler times. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. Yeah. And, and so, so for that... Um, that's just to say this this isn't a modern twist on something that just didn't get reformed. No. It's it's a different kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and then and I I you have to wait till the, the Anabaptists in the late Reformation period that are gonna come along and and have some conversations to say, well, it seems that the covenant all through the Old Testament, is laying a system of foreshadowing, everything pointing to Christ. And so we will often say things like, the whole of Scripture is about Christ. The Gospels are the center point of Scripture because they are the story of Christ. Everything before the Gospels points forward. Everything after the Gospels reflects back. Yep. But Christ is the center of all of Scripture. And in that, uh, there would be that parenthetical moment which is quite the moment chronologically, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, between the fall in the garden and Christ on the cross, where there is this foreshadowing of the new covenant to come, and then Christ, as he is preparing his disciples for his death, says, this is the new covenant in my blood, um, Traditionally, on internet forums, the argument comes down to the difference between a new covenant entirely versus a renewed or a made new covenant. Are you okay with that language? Yep. Okay. Uh, so, so that really comes down to the concept of the new covenant in the New Testament. Is it a second administration, a new next level renewing of the covenant made with Abraham that carried through Moses and in the whole of the Old Testament, right? or was all of that paving the way for a new thing that begins with Jesus? Hmm. And, and that is where the reading of the totality of Scripture affects this outward practice. Yeah. So um, in, in some ways, in some ways that softens it. Right. And in some ways it deepens it. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. I, I, if, if you mean what I think you mean, then yes. Go ahead. Oh, I just. You look like you're I, eager to say. I was going to say, because you, you use the word Anabaptist, and I want to just remind people that the Baptist churches are. Not Anabaptist. Not Anabaptist. No, Anabaptist just means, <laughs> Anabaptist just means baptized again. Yeah, but I mean, the Anabaptist tradition, we, our, our heritage comes from the particular Baptists in England. Right. Um, who, who split off from the. Uh, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, for the most part, right. Um, I, I bring in the Anabaptists, Dutch, by the way. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Anabaptists, just to say, they were the first to bring this in as a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I grew up Southern Baptist, and there's this whole Southern Baptist concept that many of the old guard of Southern Baptists hold to—the trail of blood that you can trace Baptist roots. <laughs> Southern Baptist reads. Why stop short? <laughs> All the way back to the apostles. Not true. And uh, <laughs> and and maybe maybe less prominent along the way. It would have to be profoundly less prominent. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> like a small village <laughs> off in the corner of this place that no one wrote about. Uh, it's just not the case. Yeah. I. Uh, so yeah. Go ahead. So I I want to talk about um like about the covenants about like the. 
what is different maybe from how Baptists might view covenant theology, like from, from Abraham onwards, because in Abraham, like he receives promises, right? And then he receives this, um, this covenant, which is symbolized by circumcision. And it seems like that there are kind of two things happening at the same time with, with Abraham, right? And, and um, one of the passages in the New Testament that explains this is in Galatians 4 when it's talking about, um, you know, he had two sons by two different women, and they represent, it actually says they represent two different covenants. Um, and one is Mount Sinai, um, and she is Hagar. Um, and uh, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. So she is our mother. And it kind of goes into this whole thing about, you know, the difference between these two things that are happening. There's a, there's a, f- a physical descendants that it seems to me that there's a physical descendants thing and there's a spiritual descendants thing that are kind of both happening simultaneously with Abraham. And so, the, the the Baptist kind of interpretation of of the cov- covenant theology the old these Old Testament covenants is that God is promising God is promising the the new covenant this covenant of grace but the substance of it doesn't come un- until Christ right. right so even even before Abraham there's hints at it right in Genesis three that one is going to uh, uh, the first federal head failed that the new federal head needs to come and 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 do everything and so these covenants of work, so like the, for example, like the Mosaic law is a, you could see it as a, a covenant of works that Christ fulfilled in order to enact the covenant of grace, right? That he, he did the thing that could not be done in order to set up this thing that was being anticipated from the very beginning. Um, and so I think, I think the reason that, that, that affects the way we do baptism is because it, it comes down to how much continuity do we see between um, those you know physical promises for the physical descendants then and the physical descendants now, and so and again it's it's like it's just it just comes down to that how how new is the new covenant and and that's really the basis I think of where we see things differently. Yeah, and I think Martin touched on it when he said um, when there is mention of baptism and children, mm-hmm. um, like, we don't call it adult baptism. I was bapti- baptized at nine. Right. 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 Um, and so when there is that, our interpretation that it would mean this is the spread of the gospel within family mm-hmm. and and a further celebration of those who would come to faith is uh, the way that we would receive those points differently. Whereas we, we wouldn't see the, uh, the idea of a baptism being a new circumcision or a, a different means of a similar statement in that we would say um, that was, that was a, a marking or a changing of, of the flesh. When we baptize, we'd say, you are buried with Christ in baptism unto death. You're raised to walk in newness of life, and that it's an establishment of uh, that coming alongside Jesus Himself, and that dying to self and raising again in Him, um, which is something that happens at the confession of faith, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so that's where we get into some tricky things that are not just theological but actually practical. Right. Mm. So, for instance, I'm a big fan of Ligon Duncan. Okay. Presbyterian from the U.S., from the from Mississippi. He, he's got a great voice. He's easy to listen to, that guy. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to have a voice like Ligon Duncan. If my Alexa could have Ligon Duncan's voice, I'd be happy. Or a brain. Like <laughs> I, I once set in on a preaching, an, an expositional preaching breakout session that was co-led by Ligon Duncan and Donald Carson. Oh, yeah. I was that with the one, too. Yeah. And at the end of it, Ligon Duncan goes, you see, it's just that simple. (laughs) And I thought, 
It's that simple when you're Lincoln Duncan and Donald <laughs> Carson. <laughs> the books that I use to help me understand have your names on the spine, right? Uh, but interestingly enough, for all the respect that I have for him, if, if he decided he wanted to retire in Canada, one, I would be asking, why would someone from the South come to Canada to retire? It normally is the opposite. Uh, but secondly, I would, I would have to ask in a membership interview, have you expressed faith in Jesus Christ by the means of ceremonially joining with him in that believer's baptism? And he would say, no. And then I'd say, oh, that's, that's what we do. And that's a huge difference, right, uh, in, in the way that we read that. And so, so that practicality, I've had really amazing people come into the church and say, I want to be a part of what you've got going on. I want to be a member, and I want to get engaged. And we have that conversation, and it, it just doesn't work out. Sometimes, sometimes we've got our own stash of double dunkers, yep. right? When I was in Toronto— or th- not double dunkers, but the double dunked. I guess I'm the dunker. <laughs> when I was in Toronto, the church was historically German, and so many of them Lutheran, and then uh, and then baptized. Uh, my wife grew up CRC. Yep. She's from Chatham area, and uh, and so she has been since baptized a second time. But but that's the that's where. This Because I think some people be like, oh, this is just theological rhetoric that really doesn't have any legs. And and in the end, it's just pastors fighting over stupid things that doesn't have any. But that's why we would say it's better for us to practice in different traditions. Yep. Because there are things that I, I just can in good conscience do that would cause us to constantly be sitting across our desks going, would you just see it my way? Well, it's, it's sort of like the shadow side of Sola Scriptura, right? Mm-hmm. If you think, if you take this back to church history, one of the foundational points of the Reformation was Sola Scriptura. Um, but it's Sola Scriptura that has also led to 10,000 different Protestant denominations. Yeah. Because right. it's not Sola Scriptura, it's Sola Scriptura as best I understand it. Right. And mm-hmm. since we're all fallen human beings, we're not always going to understand it the same way. And I mean, my tradition has a bit of an advantage over yours in terms of the awkwardness of that conversation because right. you could join my church and I would recognize your baptism, but right. I couldn't join yours without being rebaptized because you don't recognize mine. And I promise you it's an awkwardness. I get it. I hate I get I hate it. It's having awkward. that conversation. I, with I totally get it. And I always I always have that conversation. I, I I have practiced that conversation. Actually. I can imagine, <laughs> but there's no way to make it not awkward. No, there's yeah. not. Yeah. And I mean, if if we're talking about that specific situation, and I've I've got family members who have been rebaptized, some because they believe their first ba- baptism wasn't valid. Others, and the ones I'm thinking of, are more in this camp, because even though they don't think it's necessary to be rebaptized, they joined a church that practices believer's baptism. And in order to become a member, that's what they had to do. Mm. And membership is important. Right. But I would say this. If I had the hint, the notion, that someone didn't believe in line with, with our understanding, but was doing it just so that they could become members, for whatever privilege of membership mattered most to them, the chance to vote, the chance to work in as a teacher in kids man whatever i wouldn't baptize them for that mm-hmm. reason to me that's yeah. to me that's not reason enough yeah again to go against their own conscience i think would be right. problematic and in that and and in that i would at that point i would and i have said let me introduce you to a friend of mine who also has a good thing going sure. on because then they are in a place where they are able to practice what they believe fully Right. And, and not with hesitation or, 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 or even even some level of disguise along the way. Mm. I understand what you're saying. Um, but at the same time, people join churches for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And it's not always as simple as, oh, here's another church in the same town that lines up 
more fully. Part of what I get concerned about, and again, this is more about contemporary church than about baptism specifically, sure. is uh, people switch traditions without submitting to the teachings of the new tradition. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my advice to the family members I spoke to is, if you feel that strongly about infant baptism, then you should go to a church that teaches infant baptism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're committed to going here, then I think you have to submit to what they teach here rather than be half in here and right. say, like, I'm not going to be fully involved because I don't want to become a member because I don't want to be rebaptized. Um, I, I would rather see them either join a church that they can fully line up with or if there's other compelling reasons why they are where they are, um, you know, then, then submit to the tradition that you're in. Because these are, these are not tertiary, but they're not primary either. Right. Right? So, but mm. again, I can say that from the outside because when, if someone from a Baptist tradition transfers into our church, we don't, we don't have to have the discussion about was your baptism valid. Mm. Right? right? So it's an easier conversation for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless they don't want to baptize their children. Well, and that's another, that is where it comes up. Mm-hmm. But, th- and that gets right back to the same thing where, I, I have a, f- a couple of families that haven't baptized their children, but I don't make up a dedication ceremony sure. to replace yeah. what we would normally do, right? They can choose to baptize their child. They can choose not to, um, but that is what we teach, and we're unapologetic right. that that's what we teach. Yeah. Right, and, and should be. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. totally. Uh, just to that end, I want to do a quick explanation of baby dedications, um, just because we, we often make jokes that we have a single listener. Um, <laughs> but now that you're here, right? people are going to be right? like, maybe it's double. Hey, right, <laughs> maybe your wife listens. I don't know. Uh, so a lot of times people will say, you don't do baby baptisms, but you do dedications and it's the same thing. Right. Uh, when I bring a family forward to do a baby dedication, it's only because they've asked. I don't pursue baby okay. dedication. So, so that's not a given when a baby's born nope. into this church. Nope. Okay. Uh, the dedication is this. These people are members of the church that want the church that they have joined in membership to join with them in caring for this child spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we we talk to the parents about the importance of guarding their faith and their marriage and, and raising up their child in a way that they would not only hear the word of God, but see it lived. And then we call on the church to say, this is this family, these people are members of our church, and they are asking you through fellowship, children's ministry, whatever it is, to join with them in praying for them, praying for their child's salvation, coming along side them through our various programs and fellowshipping and all that to be a part of their lives as they strive to raise up uh, this child in Christ. And we commit to that in a way of saying uh, this matters to some members of our church and therefore it matters to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make that commitment. So in that, we're not really dedicating the child to God, we're dedicating the, we're, the church is dedicating itself to the child right. and to the family right. in aiding in the raising of that child. Um, so, so yeah, just in the same way that sometimes people throw out the whole, well, if you just read your Bible. They also <laughs> throw out that, yeah, yeah, but you do baby dedications. They're just the dry baptisms, thing. right? But and it, it's not <laughs> a dry baptism. They're not dry baptisms. But I have, like, I have witnessed that, and Different churches will have different explanations for the dedications, especially since, since it's even less commanded in Scripture. There's a lot more flexibility, right? Sure. Not, they yeah. aren't the same parameters. If you're making it up, make it up. Right? <laughs> so I have heard explanations of dedication that sound a lot like dry baptism, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yep. that's fair. No, yeah. that's it does. Fair. It does. Yeah. So it is, in, at, in instances, a, um, a reasonable accusation yeah yeah i mean but the dif- not universally the, i mean on a theological level the difference is that when at least in the way that we do them here and i think most baptist churches would do them it's not 
a welcoming of that child into the covenant community right in a in that formal way right for us that would have that happens at believers baptism right so again it just comes down to a does the covenant community like you know how we understand visible and invisible church right yep like who 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 are the church who comprises the church um are are do we you know assume that the children of believers are included in that covenant community or or not and and how does that how does that play out and i mean again and you can you can make biblical arguments for both sides i mean for myself like i would you know, I would go to like a Jeremiah 31 where it talks about the law being written on hearts and you mm-hmm. won't need to teach them. Right. And well, but we do need to teach children. So like, is it, is it, you know, is it, is it that this new covenant that is being talked about is going to be different in the sense that it's not this inherited covenant membership, but uh, you know, but at the same time, like I, I understand that there's, there's good biblical grounds for for countering that, especially the passage you said, you know, in in the end of Acts two, where it talks about this promise being for you and for your children, mm-hmm. and for all those who are yep. far off. Yep. Um, and so, does that mean all the children and all those who are far off? Dude, that's that's the thing, right? Like right. it's this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I want to I want to wrap it up with a question about efficacy. Hmm. I think a lot of people believe that because we have the name Baptist. Um, that we believe in baptismal regeneration, right? Baptism is what saves you, and so we're just trying to get people dunked because that means they're Christians, right? Uh, which is not the case, right? And and I I appreciated your statement on what goes wrong about how some people believe that you know just because my my child was baptized we're all good it doesn't matter that right. that's the last time they were in the church. Um, we have that as well. Oh yeah. Easy believism. Totally. I, I went forward. I, I got baptized. Um, so I'm good from here on out. Um, that's, that's an issue. I, I think some people are going to make the argument. I, you've used a lot of statement of tradition and I, I've talked about your tradition and the depth of it. Um, it's not just you that has covenants. We have the 1689. Yep. Um, Baptist Confession, although most Baptists don't know that we have the 1689 <laughs> Baptist Confession. The guys at the seminary do, but the people in the pews don't, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so there's there's a lot that's that's similar in that because people would say to us, well, because you're Baptist, you put too much weight on baptism, and you believe that just because if someone was baptized, they are guaranteed their seat in heaven, regardless of what happens to them after that. Right. And I've heard people in my camp say the same about what you believe yep that if we if we just get them when they're babies then uh that's the safest thing because they're good from here on out they went through the ceremony and i've spoken to why that's not true for us but i want to hear you speak to why that's not true for you fair enough um so baptism is a it's a celebration of the fact that your sins are washed clean by christ right so it's a celebration of, of that truth. Now, one of the other dynamics, too, that I didn't talk about so much to the Reformed understanding of paedo-baptism or baptism of children of believers is tied to our understanding of kind of God's role versus our response, right? Um, we think of all, all the old hymns, and I think you sing a lot of them, too. Like, I know that if I love him, he must have loved me first. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that whole idea that God grabs hold of us before we grab hold of God. So when we're putting our, when we're baptizing a child in the name of the covenant, we're saying it is our hope and our faith and our belief that God will grab hold of this child. That does not guarantee that God has grabbed hold of this child. And if there is no response, if there is no um, coming to life of the seeds of faith in that child's life, then, then the fact that they were baptized does not mean that they were saved. There, there's a comfort only in the sense that as long as they're breathing, there is hope mm-hmm. that God may yet reach them. In that sense, there's a comfort to it, but not an efficacy to it, if that right. makes sense. Yep. Like the, the, the efficacy is, I mean, God, God touches hearts and turns them to faith. So, I mean, ne- this, a week from Sunday, we're going to do profession of faith. So that's our, like, 
response to baptism, right? In our tradition, you baptize as an infant when you come to an age of understanding, and it can vary from as little as, um, some churches do it as, as young as 10 or 11. I like them to be at least 15, um, but up to whatever age, uh, you know, they respond to that. And when they respond to that and say, now I believe these promises made on my behalf when I was baptized, um, then I say, you know, they have come to trust God because God touched them first. Um, So in terms of efficacy, no. Just like every other tradition, some are baptized uh, based on the faith of their parents, but that faith does not, yeah, so they they don't grab hold of that faith themselves. That doesn't necessarily mean their parents failed um, because we believe in a sovereign God Mm -hmm. um, who touches who he's going to touch. Um, But there's always that comfort, I guess, that, and I'm sure your tradition has it too, that that there's always hope as long as they're breathing that God may yet reach them. Right, absolutely. For sure. Anything else you'd like to add, Marshall, before we wrap it up? No, I think think it's a good conversation. I mean, we could talk about covenants and all that stuff forever, right? But that might be... Yeah, I think it's a good introduction. Beyond this, beyond this conversation. Yep. I, I have two ideas coming out of this. One, next year we're going to be doing the history podcast. Church history, yeah. It'd be fun to uh, maybe have Martin on again, especially around Reformation time. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I'd enjoy it. Uh, also, um, I have a friend in Toronto, Peter Noyd, who has an NFL podcast, and I thought, hey, one, other th- one thing that we do have in common is a love for football. It's true. If we could start a <laughs> pastor's F- football cast football podcast <laughs> i think that market might be saturated <laughs> what does your pastor believe about the playoffs <laughs> thanks for listening this podcast is a resource of memorial baptist church in stratford ontario in cooperation with the gospel coalition of canada and is produced by the guy in the booth alex walker talk to you next time see ya bye